Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. This is our summer of freedom. And we've been get, be, beginning this series looking at our first parents, Adam and Eve, and learning from some of the decisions they made. Genesis chapter 3, starting again with verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of, of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. To do a brief amount of review, but not spending too much time. Notice this about the deception that Satan brought to Eve. Eve's desire to be godly or like God is a good desire. But the way she went about it was wrong. And also revealed that she didn't understand who she really was. The fruit was desirable to make one wise. What Adam and Eve didn't realize was that the fruit was going to change their way of thinking. It was going to change the way they thought about God. It's going to change the way they approached God. It's going to change the way they saw themselves. And it was going to change their entire worldview. Their new way of thinking would be a way of thinking that flows from separation from God. This sin, the way of thinking, this new wisdom they operated by, and this new approach to life separated them from God. But notice what happened next in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. Now they, heard the Lord, the, now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? So notice, what did Adam do when he heard God talk to him? He hid himself. Well, why did he hide himself? He said, I was afraid. Where did that fear come from? The shame. And we spent the last two weeks dealing with and dismantling shame. So notice this fear that Adam is now operating by flowed from shame. And last week we talked about different things that shame will cause you to do or the results of shame. We said, number one, it caused you to cover up religion and become focused on works. That shame will cause you to lie, to deceive, and operate by false pride. Shame will cause you to make promises that you can't keep. Shame will cause you to get yourself worth from the things that you do. Shame will cause you to have inability to come to a place of honesty with God because you believe you have no true value. Shame will cause you to concentrate on your sin instead of concentrating on the Savior. Think about it this way. Shame was the vehicle. Fear was the driver. Shame was the vehicle. Fear was the driver. And Adam was a passenger prince. Adam is just sitting in the passenger seat as fear drove him in shame. Have you ever, you know, taken, you know, Uber or Lyft, and sometimes you get a driver that you question how they got their license. <laughs> I was in a certain city, um, and a friend of mine and I were going to visit a friend, and we got in the car. You know, on the outside, everything looked nice. And we'd get in, you know, the pleasantries were exchanged, was good, and then they began driving, getting close to the highway, and we noticed there was a different way of driving. To the point I looked at my friend, and I'm like, what is going on here? And I happened just to look in the front seat, I probably shouldn't have. Because I looked at the front seat and I saw that, you know, every light that could be on for a car needing its maintenance was on. 
And by this point, I looked at my friend and said, we better intercede, bro, if we're going to get to our destination safely. And the thing is, cool, you guys got out the car. But have you actually got out of the vehicle of shame yet? Because I guarantee you, every maintenance light is on in that vehicle. And fear is not a safe driver. Anybody have any friends that you like, when you guys go places, road trips, yeah, you ain't driving. Anybody have friends like that? Now, if that friend is your spouse, do not admit it. Just look forward. Just look forward. <laughs> fear will drive you to do things out of shame. And now, after Adam and Eve sinned, they are being led by and controlled by fear. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Today, we're going to talk about freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. Because fear is nothing to play with. You say, well, pastor, fear is normal. It's a part of our everyday lives. Sure it is, but it doesn't mean you play with it. Look, there are some poisons in your house that you use for the appropriate purposes, but it doesn't mean you want your kids to play with it. Just because it's everywhere and it's a part of our everyday life does not mean we should consume it. You have bleach in your house to clean stuff with. Doesn't mean you need to drink it. Fears all around the world does not mean you need to partake in it. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he, Jesus, might destroy him, Satan, who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Notice what Hebrews says here. Fear enslaves. So put, put in your notes, put it in the chat. Say it out loud. Say fear enslaves. Come on, say it out loud, put it in the chat. Say, fear, fear. enslaves. That's why fear is nothing to play with, because fear will make you a slave. And I'm not telling you today, give me a good you know, self-help message to manage fear. No, you do not need to manage something that is trying to enslave you. You need to deal with it and get rid of it so that you can be free. Because some people can manage fear in one area. You get like some daredevils. You know, they do all this stuff. Well, some of you, you some, who is the roller coaster junkies in here that you just love roller coasters? All right. See, my oldest is like that. Like, you know, I had my roller coaster phase in my 20s. I'm not in my 20s no more. I'm good. Roll the roller coasters. I'm done. Somebody else enjoy it. And so we were at an amusement park. And I hadn't any rides, I'm just chilling, enjoying my day. And my oldest loves roller coasters. The crazier, the better. <laughs> and so I've driven past this amusement park a number of times, and I, there was just one ride. I would see from the street, I'm like, who in their right mind would get on that? And that's the thought I had to myself for years. And so we're walking by, and you get to the entrance, you can't tell what ride it is. And my wife's like, yeah, just go ride with her. She'll really enjoy it. You guys can ride it together. I said, fine, I'll do one roller coaster with you today. So I get in the roller coaster, they strap in, I realize it's the roller coaster <laughs> I saw from the street. I look at her and said, you owe me. <laughs> and so on this roller coaster, you know, if you're going to do it, unless you're going to be the people who go viral, who pass out on the roller coaster, you learn how to address or manage fear. But just because you're a roller coaster junkie and you can manage and you don't have any fear of heights does not mean you don't have fear show up when the money gets tight. Or fear doesn't show up when you have a doctor's report. Just because you learn how to manage fear and not have fear on a roller coaster does not mean fear doesn't try to show up in other areas of your life. People who can address fear in one area but not the others have learned to manage it, not expel it. We do not play with fear because fear enslaves. Another way to say it this way, fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Fear is a force. Faith is a force. Which one are you living by? Fear enslaves. Now one of the things also we learn from Hebrews 2.15 is the master fear 
of all fear is the fear of death. The fear of death holds the chain on the fear that is trying to enslave you. When you study out, because you know there's tons of phobias, you know, it seems like there's new phobias every single day. But when you go through all the phobias, what's the root of it? The root of it is dying. So let's talk about the fear of not having enough. Well, if I don't have enough money, then I can't pay my bills. I can't eat. I can't drink. I don't have somewhere to live. And then if I don't have somewhere to live, I don't have any food, I don't have any drink, I'm going to run out, and then I'm going to starve to death. Or if I don't have anywhere to live, then I can't provide for myself, and now I'm exposed to the elements, and because of the heat, or because of this, I'm going to die. When you trace the fear back, the master fear, the puppet master fear, is the fear of death. And the scripture says Satan has enslaved all of mankind through that fear. He's a puppet master, and he makes everybody dance through the fear of death. All the systems that he operates and backs by is through the fear of death. And there's going to be a lot of people out in the world. They'd be dancing like Pinocchio. I got no strings to hold me down, but you're on the fear of death. <laughs> you dancing, saying you a real boy. But the fear says otherwise. And the thing is, we like to say, you know, as Americans, you know, this message for those of you watching at a later time, you know, the 4th of July is coming up. You know, we're free. Sort of. Oh, yeah, we're brave, and we are. But we've realized how much fear exists in this nation. That although we're a brave people, we're a fearful people. And this fear is not new. It's been here a while. Let's go back to, well, before some of you in the congregation were born, 1999. For those of you who are doing it for the 99 and the 2000s. Remember all the fear about Y2K? The whole nation was afraid because of something might happen with the computers. Right? But then New Year's happened. We're still here. But the fear didn't leave. Just because the event never took place doesn't mean the fear left. Well, what happened after that what was so devastating to this nation, 9-11? The fear never left. It just took a different form. Fear is nothing to play with. It's an attack from hell. It is a door from hell. You have to understand Satan is the master terrorist. He can't control you because you're saved, but he can influence you through fear. And if he can get you on his agenda because you are afraid, then he'll make you a puppet like everybody else. Go to the book of Romans. Let's look at this. That's why we don't play with fear. Romans chapter 8. We're just going to open up this topic today. Romans chapter 8. For as many, starting with verse 14, are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Again. Well, when would people receive the spirit of bondage? When they're born to this earth. The enemy is operating by fear. And so when people come into this planet, they are enveloped with fear to enslave them to the devil's agenda. And Paul says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage or the spirit of being enslaved again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness or gives evidence to our spirit that we are the children of God. He says, when you were born again, when he made Jesus the Lord of your life, when he accepted him as your savior, you did not receive a spirit of fear. You did not receive a spirit of bondage. You received a spirit of an adoption. You realize you ain't out here by yourself. 
You don't have to be afraid because God has adopted you and put you in his own family. And because you're in his family, you can cry out, Abba, Father. It's a way to say it this way, because Abba means father, and father means father, of course. So why is he saying this? It's driving home the point to where it's not just, oh, heavenly father, it's I've got a father. And it's even more intimate. Sometimes you dive in, it means I've got a daddy. And Paul is saying we receive the Holy Spirit who gives evidence to our spirit that we're God's kids. That no matter our age, we can say we've, we really have a father who looks out for us. Abba Father. The solution to fear. I have a father. I have someone who looks out for me. I'm not in this by myself. Let's go further. Go to 1 John chapter 4. Let's look at verse 18. Freedom from fear. First John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. Let's pause right there, put this in your notes, put it in the chat. Say, there is no fear in love. Come on, say it out loud, put it in the, your notes, put it in the chat. Say, there is no fear in love. And earlier in this chapter, it tells us that God is love. And God showed his love by sending Jesus, the son of love. And you read elsewhere in the New Testament, he showed his love again by giving us the Holy Ghost, the spirit of love, to live on the inside of us. There is no fear in love. Why? But perfect love casts out fear. What is perfect love? Developed love, grown-up love, mature love, cast out, or evicts, or flushes out fear. Mature love, developed love in you will evict fear. Fear is a lousy tenant. Fear will destroy everything you got and blame you for it. Develop love kicks out fear. Or think about, you know, at the start of the year, people do a lot of different type of flushes so they can live healthy in the year. You should regularly take a fear flush. Because there may be some fear trying to hide out. Been there for a while. Because a lot of us were taught to be afraid. Fear is an operating system, just like the negative wisdom we talked about a couple weeks ago. We use the example, your phones, your devices have an operating system. It's how they access the apps and all the stuff they do. Fear is an operating system, and for some people, especially believers, who've been in the faith for a little while, they may operate by fear, but they won't dare tell you that. They just gave it another name, they call it a wisdom. And you have to be very careful because sometimes wisdom and fear seem similar. And so you have to not just rush through life, pause, and say, am I making this decision because the Holy Ghost is telling me to? Or am I making this decision because the pressure got tight? You're going to have to answer that question for yourself. Because developed love casts out, evicts fear, because fear has Torment. That word torment is connected to what's called the torment in hell. Fear brings the torment of hell into your life. Fear is an open door to the torment and terrors of hell. It will make you a slave and cause you to be tormented. But perfected, developed love casts it. Notice what it says next. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Notice what John says. If you're afraid or fearful, you just haven't grown up in love. 
Then it says, we love him because he first loved us. So it's not talking about first our loving others. It's talking about our belief and how much God loves us. If you are afraid, you have not developed your belief in how much God loves you. Let's go to John 16, 27. Like I say, I'm just unpacking some things today, just getting it started. We're going on a road trip this summer, so we're just getting started. John 16, verse 27. Notice what Jesus says here to his disciples. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. To us, because we just talk about God loving you, he's like, okay, yes, God loves me. But imagine Jesus telling this to his disciples who've grown up hearing the law preached, who've grown up hearing all these other type of things in the synagogues. Jesus says the Father himself loves you. He could have said God loves you or the Father loves you, but notice it. The Father himself loves you. And remember, there's a small group of guys in the area, so he's looking at them. Peter, the Father himself loves you. John, the Father himself loves you. Philip, the Father himself loves you. Matthew, the Father himself loves you loves you. Simon, the Father himself loves you. Andrew, the Father himself loves you. It was personal. Imagine how they felt to hear Jesus said, who would know? If anybody would know, he would know. To look at them in the eyes and say, the Father himself loves you. How much do you believe that God loves you? Because this is bedrock to our Christianity. It's elementary. Some of you grew up in church. You can still sing the songs. Jesus loves you. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. You can sing the song. But has it gone from mental ascent to deep belief that you know God loves you? How much do you believe it? How much has it changed you to where you view life from the perspective of God loves you? But because some of you still haven't gotten out the car of shame yet, you say, well, I don't know how God can love me because I'm still ashamed. And so fear is still driving you around, and you're in that broke, busted-down car. And you're having a hard time receiving God's love. Because you're looking around this car of shame and think, how could God love me? The Father will never love you any more or any less than he loves you right now. Nothing you can do can change how much he loves you. But will you dare to believe it? Will you dare to receive it? Will you dare to grow up in your belief in how much God loves you? Because some of you have struggled doing this because people have told you they loved you and never backed it up with actions. And some of you have a hard time letting God take care of stuff for you because people told you they loved you and didn't take care of you or stand up for you. And so you have a problem believing that God can make it right for you because people didn't make it right for you. Because if you think I always have to strike back first, it comes from unhealed trauma. I'm just going to let it sit right there. You have to get to a place where you believe God can fight your battles. 
that you believe God can actually fight for you and make it right to where you can do what we said earlier, you will recover all. Why? He loves you. Because if you always think people are out to get you, you're not developed in God's love. Oh, pastor, somebody is out to get me. Look, there can be people out to get you. Look, I'll say from my perspective, as someone who's actually had death threats, people threatened to kill me. I've had people threaten to kill me. Oh, what did you do? Preach like normal? Oh, someone's out to get you, yeah. So? So what do you do? It just add a couple hours to my day. I had to go file the report to the police, let them know what was going on, told our security team, this, you know, let's keep going. And they told me after that Sunday, they said, you did not act like someone whose life was just threatened. Why should I? See, it also comes from my background growing up, seeing my family in word of faith, there are people who threaten kills all the time. It's nothing new. Even witches wanted to show up and do stuff. So should I really be led by someone wanting to hurt me? Or should I believe the Father can take care of me? Because there's so many people, you might think, well, someone's out to get me. There could be some people out to get you. And yes, I believe you should take care of yourself and know how to defend yourself in multiple different ways. Y'all can read through that the way y'all want to read through that. I believe in doing all the natural things and being very good at it. But I don't live by the belief somebody's going to get me. Because what happens is, now I look everybody side eyes. Why are you coming to my life? What do you want? And that's how some people live. You're afraid of someone being able to get you. Or, now I'll use this example. I remember years ago, I was staying, it was between one of my college years and I was off campus, and like I hadn't even unloaded my car to the place I was staying yet. And you know, I woke up, I was exhausted, so I did, I just did some stuff. And the next morning, the Holy Ghost woke me up, I was like, go get your stuff out the car. And I'm like, I'm tired. Go get your stuff, I'm like, oh, I'll get it later. So by the time I get to my car, my car had been broken into. And stuff had been taken. Now, it wasn't too serious stuff where it set me back too much, but it's the fact that now I'm a college student and I got a window missing. And I got stuff stolen from me. And so one of the things I noticed for the next couple weeks, I was always looking over my shoulder. Someone already stole from me, someone's gonna get me. And that was a constant thought. A constant thought. So then I realized, wait a minute, that's a harassing spirit. So, I just walked into the apartment where I was staying, closed the door, and started singing about the blood. And it left. What I'm telling you is, if the enemy attacks, and because for whatever reason you were doing what God said, and it seemed like the attack was successful, and the attack prospered, if you allow that attack to talk to you for the rest of your life, it will keep you in fear. You have to deal with the fear, because if not, that fear becomes an operating system and will bring torment into your life. Develop love, cast out fear. Let's go to Matthew 6 and begin to bring this home. We're just unpacking. So many of you guys miss out on good relationships because you've had bad ones. And you're afraid of having another bad one. Oh, I'll never get married again. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to. No one's going to make you get married again. But if you have that desire, don't let fear steal it from you. 
oh, I can't start a business again. You don't know what happened last time. Well, no one's saying you have to start that business. But don't let fear rob you of the opportunity. Notice what Jesus says here in Matthew 6. And keep in the mindset the Father himself loves you. Jesus says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Also translated, do not be anxious about your life. About what you will eat or what you will drink. Nor about your body, what you'll put on. So you should not be worried or anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or how you're going to cover yourself. So by implication, you're closed and also where you live. Do not be anxious about these things. Why? Is your life not more than food? And your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. Come on, we're Atlanta. We got falcons, we got hawks. Look at the birds. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father, let it drive in your heavenly Father. Say, my heavenly Father. Come on, say it out loud. Put it in the chat. Say, my heavenly Father. Feeds them. He feeds the birds, even the dirty birds. He feeds the birds. And have you ever been to a park where there's some people who are just out there feeding the birds? Just on behalf of God, just feeding the birds. And if God can cause the birds to eat, can he take care of you? If God can assign some people to go to the park and just throw out food for the birds, can he take care of you? Because Jesus said, aren't you worth more than some birds? And if you don't know the answer, the answer is yes. You are worth more than the birds. Which of you, by worrying, can grow taller? So why do you worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies of the field. One of the things I love about Jesus preaching, he's the pointing preacher. He's using examples. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory the wealthiest king of Israel, was not clothed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of what faith? Not even a lot of faith. Not even a massive amount of faith. Little faith people, you can get yourself some new clothes with little faith. Won't he clothe you with some good clothes just because you got a little faith? If he clothes the grass with pretty flowers, which exists for a moment, and then it's gone the next, can't he clothe you? Notice what's next. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek, or the Gentiles live for. Now, when you think the word Gentile, don't think, well, I'm a Gentile. No, 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 no. Because there's three groups of people on the earth. They're the Jews, they're the Gentiles, and there's the church. And so in this context, we're talking about Gentiles, some of people who do not have a covenant with God. You are not those who do not have a covenant with God. You are people of covenant. And in the face of the contradictions of life, you have to talk about your covenant. So he says the people who do not have a covenant are driven by what they're going to eat. They're driven about what they're going to drink. They're driven by what they're going to wear. They're driven by all these things. And Jesus, don't let these things drive you. Why? Your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father, knows that you need all these things. So the heavenly Father himself loves you, and he knows that you need these things. Notice these aren't spiritual things. Notice he doesn't say spiritual things. It's not spiritual stuff. This is stuff. You were interested in eating some spiritual food after church? This ain't hook. 
You ain't gonna sit around the table and imagine food gonna show up. You want some real food. And notice what he said. But seek first, here's what you should live for. Here's what you should drive. The kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of being right. And all these things shall be added to you. If you live God's way and seek his plan, and instead of being driven like the people who have no covenant, but you let God's plan for your life and his leading drive you, all of these things will be added to you. Well, how much? As much as you need. Added. We didn't talk about, we'll get into today, about things being multiplied to you. He says these things that the Gentiles live for will be added to you as you live for God. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about, worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Have you ever realized that some things you're afraid about today concerning tomorrow may not even happen? You worried about stuff that might happen that hasn't even happened yet. That may never happen. And so you're spending all this emotional energy, all this mental energy worried about tomorrow, and that may never happen. So Jesus, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. You be driven by my plan for your life. You be driven by my way of being right. And I'll add all these things to you because your heavenly Father knows that you need it. And what does it tell us later in Peter? Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. The heavenly Father himself loves you. The heavenly Father himself cares for you. The heavenly Father himself knows you need these things, and he will add them to you. So how's he going to do it? He didn't say how. He said he's going to do it. God has more than a million ways to get you a miracle. You might be creative and think about 15. But he has more than enough ways to get it to you. You might say, well, people say the phrase, you never know what God's going to do. Well, let me fix it. You know he's going to keep his word. But you may not know how he's going to do it. Remember, the creator is creative. And he's got plans where you're concerned. Plans of provision. Plans of breakthrough, plans of assistance, plans of manifesting his love to you and for you and on your behalf. You know, we love this scripture in 2 Timothy. Paul writing to Timothy, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind of self-control. How many of you have heard that scripture before? Now, the thing is, we think of that, that word fear doesn't just mean being afraid like we talked about today. It means timidity, to be timid. It means cowardice. Now, you got to think, well, why is Paul telling Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of being timid or being a coward? You might think, oh, Timothy doesn't really want to do what God's calling him to do. No, but when you study it out, Timothy is actually doing what God has called him to do. He is pastoring the largest church in the ancient world the fastest growing church in the ancient world. And so now this young dude is leading a movement. And the city church that he's leading, all the other churches in the region follow him. Bruh, stressed. And Paul's reminding him, God didn't give you a spirit of being timid. He didn't give you the spirit of being a coward. He says there's faith on the inside of you. Your grandma had this faith. Your mama had this faith, and you have this faith. And so in response to your being tempted to be timid, stir up the gift on the inside of you. That's what it's going to take, Timothy, to lead this to the next generation. This is what it's going to take, Timothy, to take this further. He said, stir up the gift. It reminds me of what God told Joshua. Because Joshua is about to lead the children of the first generation that left Egypt into the promised land. And God told him, be of good courage. Don't be afraid. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. Now, I want you to do something that Moses didn't do. What? You want me 
to do something that Moses didn't do. Moses, the brother who walked up to the Red Sea and gave a great faith speech about what God's going to do. And God, you talked from heaven and said, why are you crying out to me? What's in your hand? And that Moses stepped up to the water and parted the sea. That brother? That brother who prayed and manna fell? That brother who prayed and quail flew in? That brother, you told him not to strike the rock and he did it anyways and it still worked? Him? You want me to follow him and lead these people because their parents were hard-headed. Their parents didn't even listen to Moses and you want me to lead their babies. Sometimes, God, something's wrong with the family. You want me to lead them? And it's not like it's 10 people. It's up to a couple million. And you want me to lead them into the promised land and take them to war and defeat giants and possess the promised land. And what God tell them, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Meditate my word. Everything I said is going to come to pass. Some of you may not be dealing with one form of fear, but you're timid about stepping out into what God has for you. Maybe timid with leading forward because it's working and you're afraid of greater success. Some aren't afraid of failure, you're actually afraid of success because the people you know that succeeded didn't handle it right. Some of you really don't want to believe for increase because you think money makes people crazy. No, they were already crazy. <laughs> they were just too broke for you to notice. So don't be afraid about increase. Don't be afraid about success. But learn from what the Holy Ghost told to Timothy. I didn't give you the spirit of being timid, but I gave you a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of a sound mind, a spirit of self-control. And he told Joshua, I got you. I'm going with you. You're not in this by yourself. Meditate my word, and then you'll make your way prosperous, and you'll have good success. And you want to said later in the book of Joshua that everything God told Joshua came to pass. Not one thing didn't come to pass. Not one. And Joshua lived a long time, 110 years. And everything God promised him came to pass. For whatever reason, you're not doing what God called you to do today. The Heavenly Father himself loves you. He cares for you. He knows. He's got you. He's going with you. So move forward into the plan. Take another step forward. And stop praying about fear. Stop praying about the pressure. This is something I learned. I'll just tell you from a person as I close. A personal example from my life this week. You know, I was dealing with this pressure, it just came on me. Anybody ever dealt with pressure? Like the pressure was like literally sitting on your chest. And so that's how I was feeling earlier this week and it was not leaving. And it was going for like days on end. I was realizing this pressure is affecting my decision-making and I'm not making the wisest decisions. And so I was like, well, I got this extra time. Let me just pray about this pressure. I'm just sitting praying in the spirit, listening to my heart. Well, what should I do about this pressure? And you know what the Lord told me? It's like, don't pray about the pressure. Because notice when the pressure showed up. Did anything change? Like, actually, no, nothing changed. Nothing changed to cause this pressure to lay on me like this. Notice what you're doing when the pressure showed up. What was I doing? I was praying out a plan into the future. I was taking some of the things the Lord told us at the Faith Plus Conference, and I've been spending time on and praying it out in the spirit, praying out words, praying out prophecies, praying out making the path straight. And I've been doing this for end. I must have been making some type of progress because here comes this pressure. And now this pressure is on me. I can feel it constantly. And he said, don't pray about the pressure. Pray the plan. And so I was like, you know what? I got some extra time. Let me pray about this plan. And the pressure left. See, some of you are dealing with the pressure and this fear because you're actually making progress. 
you're actually going forward and the pressure and the fear is a distraction I don't pray about the fear don't pray about the pressure pray out the plan stay focused on the plan nothing has changed God still loves you God still knows God still cares God is still with you. God has got you. So it's time to go forward. Stand to your feet. Just unpacking freedom from fear today. We'll pick up here next week. We're not those led by fear, led by the pressure, led by anxiety. We're faith people. And what fuels our faith, our belief in how much God loves us. You got to talk about how much God loves you. You got to remind yourself how much God loves you. You need to say every day that God loves me. Say it every day. Maybe we'll get into next week, we'll talk about how the love of God's on the inside of you. And how that love's supposed to overflow and increase. And that's how it pushes out the fear. That's how it fuels your faith. And because you believe God loves you, you believe he'll show you his favor. One of the things I grabbed hold of this revelation of favor when I was a teenager, and I'm the one who took it to the extreme. I'm the guy who will take it to the extreme. Because I believe, I start saying, I'm God's favorite. Now, yes, I know we're all God's favorite, but I actually dare to say it. I said, I'm God's favorite. It's gonna work out for me because I'm his favorite. And I just took it to the next level. I just started telling people, I'm your favorite. I'm talking about in class, I tell some teachers, I'm your favorite. You want to show me favor. Like, who is this dude? And so when I asked for extra credit, guess what? I got extra credit, but I got it for the whole class. They're like, whatever this dude says. <laughs> I just kept saying, I'm God's favorite. I'm God's favorite. And it caused me to face life with confidence. But I realized there came a point where I stopped saying it and I became worried about how things were gonna turn out. When I kept saying I'm God's favorite, I'm expressing my belief in how much he loves me and his willingness to show favor in my life. And so I had to grab back onto that years ago. And so I would say the favor of God goes before me and prospers my way. I have favor with God, man, and government. I started saying, I think I was like 18 or 19 saying this, I have favor with presidents, prime ministers, and dictators. Well, why would you say that? Because I plan to meet them. Well, have you met a president? Yes, and I had favor with him. I'll tell you that story one day. Well, dictators, not yet, but I'm sure I might need that with the path God has us on. Prime ministers, not yet, but I will. I said I have favor with law officers and men of influence. And who knew God was gonna call me to minister to law enforcement? to where I do that on a regular basis, and I'm certified to do that. And the doors are open to do that. But I've been talking about that favor since I was a teenager. I said, I have favor with pastors and churches and ministries. The favor of God that's upon me causes people to want to receive the word of God that's upon my lips. The favor of God goes before me and prospers my way. And Paul calls people to go out of the way daily to bless me in every way possible. That's what I started meditating on, started saying. And so I go places and favor shows up. And that favor rests on my kids. We were at one place and I wasn't even there with them. And everywhere they turned, they got blessed. Like people going out their way to bless them. Another state, they don't know who they are. They, everywhere they go, people just giving them stuff. In the middle of a theme park. I'm like, y'all walking around like you own this theme park. But people were just showing them favor. I believe in the favor of God because I believe God loves me. And one day of favor is worth a thousand days of labor. One day of favor can turn over every attack of a hater. So don't worry about all the people saying stuff about you. God knows how to fight. And if they go too far, they'll run into him. So instead of focusing on them, focus on favor. Focus on favor.
believe for his favor. Because favor will set you up to be in places you couldn't pay to get into. Favor will put you in rooms that you can't even figure out how you got in there in the first place. You'd be looking around, how in the world did I get in here? And then they look at you and say, what should we do? Yeah, what should we do? Oh, you talk to me. Let's figure out a plan. The favor of God will open doors for you that no man can close. Favor will open doors for you with people who don't like you, who hate you. For whatever reason, they hate you. They don't know why. They'll even say, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to do it anyways. It's not for you to figure out why. You just walk in that favor. But that's a life separate from fear. That's the life of believing God loves you and will show his favor to you. So you believe when we talk, speak favor over you on the sales floor, you believe that when you go to sell something, the favor is there. I said, you believe the favor is there. You believe the favor is going before you and God's connecting the right people to you who want to buy what you're selling. You believe that. She did. She received it. Come here for a second. Come here for a second. You received it. Take my hand. Get it off your behind her. You have to believe and receive. You have to believe that God will pour out favor. Don't you realize that's how the children of Israel, as they left Egypt, received? It says they plundered the Egyptians because God gave them favor one night. One night of favor caused a wealth transfer. Don't hate nobody. Just believe God's favor. Don't hate wicked people doing wicked things. It tells us multiple times in the Old Testament that God will give them a job to heap up silver as the dust so God can give it to those who are right in his sight. Stop hating people. Let them be them. Pray for them. Don't be jealous of what they got. Don't stress about it. God's got you. And he'll open doors for you that no man can close. He'll put you in the right place at the right time with the right people. And he'll do it all the time. He'll do it all the time. He'll bring you the right connections. And the connections aren't showing off what you know, or all your education, all your skills, which is good to have all those things. Will be a connection that you realize only God could have brought us together. Only God could arrange this meeting. That's not living afraid. That's living in belief that God loves you and will show you his favor. I just dare to believe that God's going to show us his favor. There's favor all over us. As a faith family, there's favor all over us. I said there's favor all over us. You know, even from what we saw at the Faith Plus Conference and other places, that the Lord keeps speaking through different ministry gifts, not just about me and Lady Raquel, but about you guys. About the plan God has given us to do together. And it's only going to come to pass supernaturally. And it's going to come to pass by favor. Psalm 512 says the favor of God surrounds us as a shield. So I say this way, before people encounter me, they encounter my favor. Come on, you get close enough to me, you're going to run into my favor. It's like a force field. You got to talk that way. Saying you got to talk that way. And someone's like, I can't talk that way. Yeah, because you don't believe it, but you got to talk that way. I've seen it time and time and time again. The favor of God do stuff for me. 
And so you have to make a decision not to be stressed about everything that shows up. I remember one time, I think it was before a night experience, I was having dinner in the back, I was talking with someone, um, and we were just talking about stuff as I was eating my dinner, and someone came in and says, Pastor, there's something wrong with the building. You, never, you, know, you know you never want to hear that, right? Because that means what follows that's going to be very expensive. They said it could be up to $8,500 to fix. I was like, okay, let me know how it turns out. I just kept eating. And the person with me is like, you just didn't react. I'm like, man, this stuff happens a lot, actually. I'm just not going to stress about it. I'm hungry. And the person comes back in and says, hey, the person here, they fixed it, and I believe it turned out where there's going to be no extra charge. Well, that happened to you because your church? No, it didn't. Stop excusing yourself from miracles. Why not you? Why not you? Oh, I'm too old. Says who? I'm too this. Says who? Oh, they said it, but that don't matter. What did God say? And what did you say? Expect miracles. Come on, I'm believing the favor to do some wild things for us as a church. Come on, I'm believing the favor to open doors for us for ministry. I'm believing the favor to open doors to where I can start campuses and start a pri- inside of prisons. Oh, we gonna do that? Favor. I said favor. Favor. That's how you get the job done. Favor. God gave Joseph favor. God gave Daniel favor. God gave Esther favor. God gave Nehemiah favor. That's how they got it done. That's how you're going to get it done. So don't excuse yourself from a miracle. Because God's got miracles on his mind where you're concerned. just listening, because he's talking to me about stuff. I'm trying to see if he's supposed to say it publicly or privately. All right, tell him that privately. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Minister David, can you just sing out favor? Favor. We have favor. We have favor. 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 We have favor. We have favor. It surrounds us as a shield. It surrounds us as a shield. It goes before us. It goes before us. It makes a way for us. It makes a way for us. We are favored. We are favored. We are favored. We are favored. Favor goes before us. Favor goes before us. It makes a way for us. It makes a way for us. It opens doors 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 for us. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encourages you and is to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. 
Spotify, our YouTube channel, download our Faith Plus app, and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message. And remember, God has a great plan for your life and something good is going to happen to you today. So expect miracles. God bless.